Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. WBUR Podcasts, Boston. Hey folks, you're listening to part two of our story on the origin of jokes and humor. If you missed the first episode, go back and listen to that or don't, but you may not get the joke. Anyway, enjoy the show. Last time on Endless Thread. So can you read it for us? In in Sumerian? Yeah, let's start there. So in Sumerian it reads, Orgi Ray... In English, that means something like um, a dog entered into a tavern and said, probably, I cannot see anything. I shall open this or this one. I don't get it. I don't get it. What can a dog open? They don't have thumbs. So we're blasting down the highway. Amory is behind the wheel. What are you doing next? What are you, you tell me, what are you doing next? This is the top of the room. Oh, wow. So you're team not joke? I'm team humorous saying. So maybe we're talking Seinfeld rather than Bob Hope. Okay. Um, I like it. Ben, Amory. Dean Russell. D-Dog. Do either of you know uh, what, like, a baby chimpanzee is called? <gasps> Oh, um, an imp. A chimpling. <laughs> a chimpette. <laughs> it's, it's a very technical term. It's called a chimp off the old block. Oh, uh, Dean. <laughs> we walked right into that one. Um, so, yeah, I, I have the humor from last episode has not improved. but No, you converted like to... it all from dog humor to chimp humor. It's which evolved. Is, yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> anyway, I promise that that is my one and only joke. And the reason that I bring you this terrible chimp joke uh, will become clear in a moment. Uh, that reason starts, though, with the big questions from last episode. One, what does this Sumerian dog in a bar joke mean? Like, what, why is it funny? Mm-hmm. And two, why does it matter? Like, why do so many people online and in academia, why are they all trying to, like, confirm that it's a joke mm. and solve its meaning? Yeah, because we want to know, like, why we all think it's a joke, right? Like, it has this, like, universal... There's something about it that feels universal, which feels like a good joke. And there's meaning in that universality. 
Yeah. And so something I think both of you said uh, last episode, something we heard from Phil uh, Jones, the, the guy at the Penn Museum, was that this bar joke is likely one of the first documented examples of humor. And if we can firmly establish that the bar joke is, you know, like a bar joke and sort out what makes it funny. um, Which I feel like we did a pretty good job of. (laughs) (laughs) True, sort of true, yes. But let's say like if we can firmly settle those things, that gives us a clue about how we humans came to be the people that we are today. And it like gives us some sense of the role humor has played in our development into what I would argue is a pretty unique species. And boy, do we need some of that human humor these days. We do. So for this part of the story, I'm going to do my best to like bring all of these things together and firmly answer those questions. Like, what's it mean? Why does it matter? So we can get at this greater meaning. And our like extremely circuitous mystery uh, is is going to go a little bit more bananas and, and <laughs> sorry. Oh, you said the jokes were done. I'm keeping a sharp eye out, ear out. It's I'm ready. Ready? Let's hear. Here we go. We're going further back than Sumer, further back than tablets, further back than people. We're going to the dawn of the apes. I'm Amory Sievertson. I'm Ben Brock Johnson, and you're listening to Endless Thread. We're coming to you from WBUR, Boston's NPR station. Today's episode, the second of two parts in which producer Dean Russell helps us deconstruct the origins of humor and explain an unexplainable joke from the forgotten tablets of the past. Part two, jokes stand up. <laughs> and it's probably because they heard me over here. Hi, Ruby girl. How's my best girl? So you see the, the chimp who's kind of making the duck face at yeah. me? That's Ruby. And this is Jen. And she always greets me like that when she sees me. Hi, Ru. <laughs> That's my girl. <laughs> Jennifer Ireland's in charge of the mammals at the North Carolina Zoo which is like this enormous zoo directly in the middle of the state. And a few weeks ago, Jen took me to this half-acre forest with, you know, rolling hills and arboreal jungle gyms and uh, mysteriously like a fake termite mound. Um, But just this like surreal little plot where the chimpanzees live. So in this habitat, we I don't know how many chimps are out here today. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Should be about nine chimps out here today. And in front of us, we have Jeannie, who's in the back. She has a really dark face. Uh, we have Lance here on the left. And the reason I'm here, and by here I mean like at the top of this helix staircase, looking down at the chimps, chimps named Ruby and Jeannie and Lance and Obi, who is this like cute toddler chimp who's doing cartwheels. Uh, The reason I'm here is because I'm trying to figure out how this Sumerian joke came to be. 
Okay, so why are we talking about chimps? This is kind of me rabbit-holing because my initial reading into the origin of jokes sent me into reading about the origin of humor, which sent me into reading about the evolution of laughter. And so we're going to start there at the bottom of the rabbit hole. Where does laughter come from? I had this idea that maybe laughter started as cultural thing. Maybe it even started with the Sumerians, like maybe that's why they have the first documented jokes. But then when I looked into it, I learned something that I didn't know. I learned that laughter is not a human-only thing. Yeah, chimpanzees definitely laugh. Usually when they laugh, there's been some sort of physical contact. They will tickle each other. They'll pinch each other. They'll wrestle each other. So they are laughing all the time when there's that type of physical contact. To me, this fact was kind of mind-blowing. Chimps, you know, which share 99% of our DNA... They have a funny bone. Chimpanzees laugh a little different than humans. Humans, when they laugh, it's all on the exhalation, right? When we're laughing, it's all the noise is coming out. Chimpanzees, their laugh is on the inhalation and the exhalation, and it's kind of a panting sound. So it sounds kind of like... (laughs) So, Ben and Amory, I just slacked you this video. Oh, my God. What is going on? What, was one of them, like, breathing into the other person's chimp's mouth? To me, it looks like a parent over a, uh, over a juvenile, and they're being silly together. That's what I'm seeing. There are two chimps here uh, named Kendall and Tammy, and they're in this, like, rugby huddle. Um, they're, like, bent over at the waist, and they're tickling each other. This this odd, like, panting laughter is, like, their way of just saying, like, oh, my God, this is fun. Not only can you hear them laughing, but you can see Kendall's mouth, and you can see that his mouth is wide open. And so he's got a big play face on that's just another way to communicate. I love what is going on. Not only am I laughing, but my face is telling you how happy I am and how much I am enjoying this interaction. Laughter is also called a play vocalization, like in scientific circles. There's a theory that it evolved from heavy breathing, which maybe, Amory, that's what you're referring to. It sounds like heavy breathing. And it's a really crucial communication and bond-building tool, like with this tickling. And it's also an extremely effective tool for learning. Mm. What do you mean? Well, you know how, like, when you're a kid and you're roughhousing but also giggling? Uh, um, Why does it—you mean when you're a kid? I don't know. (laughs) I'm still doing that. Chimps do this same thing, especially when they're young. They play fight, which is extremely important because it trains, like, a youngin on how to defend themselves— And biologists have actually done tests and found that in certain groups, play fighting can turn into real fighting if one of those youngins, like, don't have a voice box, meaning they can't laugh. Yeah, exactly. They can't communicate that it's all good fun, and so it kind of escalates into real fighting. So you need laughter, and it also encourages that learning to keep going because it's something that's fun, so you'll keep doing it. See, this makes total sense to me as a dad, I will say. 
Hmm. Like I, I rough house with my kids all the time. And the way that I can tell whether or not like I'm, cause I'm so much bigger than my kids and the way that I can tell whether or not, um, they are playing well together and whether or not I am playing well with them is a completely auditory. I would say almost completely auditory, you know, mm. cause you're like mm. listening for the way that people react. And if they're like squealing with joy versus like squealing with pain, there's like a difference there. There's an audible difference. Ultimately, what we're talking about here is non-language communication, right? Like, so Amory, you asked the question, why chimps? And I started with chimps because they are the closest cousin species with humans. We share a common ancestor from about eight to six million years ago. And because we both laugh, this actually suggests to scientists that laughter precedes humans. It is very probably also at least six million years old. Whoa. Chimpanzees, bonobos, gorillas, orangutans are all apes. We're all related to each other. And it, laughter seems to serve the same purpose in every one of those species. But like the wild thing to me is that laughter may actually be even older. Last year, these two UCLA scientists, they documented play vocalizations, these proto-laughs, in 65 different species. Apes and monkeys and black bears and rats and seals, they all vocalize during play. And this suggests that the first laugh, the first laugh ever, that may have come from a common ancestor 100 million years ago. Whoa. Wow. You see, are you saying that the, the thin lobe thin fish was cracking up when it came out of the wa- when it came out of the muck? <laughs> hey, I'm almost walking here. <laughs> I don't get it. I thought it was good. Oh, I do get it. Never mind. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> But Dean, when you started, you mentioned humor, which I feel like is more complicated, maybe more to the point of the Sumerian joke. Humor, in my mind, is is like it's like more of a story, maybe that causes laughter or like an idea. It's less like tickling or something, but more like an intellectual presentation that people react that yeah. animals react to. Yeah. So for this, I you know I'd like to I'd like us to think about a moment in Seinfeld. Um, Ben, Mm. as you know, I've been working my way through (laughs) Seinfeld recently. And uh, as I was writing this story, I landed on this like one episode where Kramer goes to see chimpanzees. I stopped to look at the monkeys when all of a sudden I am hit in the face with a banana peel. (laughs) I turn and look and there is this monkey really laughing it up. (laughs) All right, I'm going to say setting aside uh, the fact that Kramer refers to chimps as monkeys, which is not true. Um, chimps have actually done stuff like this. Like, they've thrown feces at zoo guests, and, and they've had the same sort of semi-laughing reaction. And what I want to know from you two is, like, would you call that humor? Would I call hitting, a, hitting uh, one of your jailers uh, with your own excrement humorous? Yes, I would. <laughs> I mean, it's all humor. There are just different kinds. Would I call it, like, witty? 
no, but mm-hmm. it's it's definitely got some some quality slapstick potential well, I right guess, there. Well, you know what's interesting too is I think it's like the perspective matters. Mm. So like it may not be humor to the person who got hit with the excrement or the or the chimp throwing the excrement, but if another chimp witnesses it mm. and is like mm, not true. involved in the action, but like that is them witnessing the story, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like that feels like more humor if that makes sense. Mhm. Yeah. Um so with that in mind, I have one more video for, for you all to watch. Okay, so I'm looking at a single chimp sitting on top of this like little platform, and the chimp is next to a big old pile of hay. Yeah, tossing some hay into a pile of hay. And someone's reacting. Someone's like kind of laughing. Oh, there's another monkey under the pile of straw. They're not monkeys, Ben. They're chimps. I'm sorry. They're chimps. There's another chimp under the straw. There's a chimp hiding. Oh, and they're all having a great time about it. But the one that like popped out of the straw was clearly laughing and knew yeah. that that there was a, a joke being played here. That was the Ben of presumably the, bunch, the other laughing chimp. at its own joke. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was pretty interesting to compare this to the Sumerian joke mm. because to me it has a very similar structure, right? Like you have a setup which is Terry is hanging out near some hay, then. I mean, that's like setting an expectation. And then Ruthie, who is hiding in the hay, she sits up and then breaks your expectation. And that's the punchline. Yeah. Okay. I buy it. Would you describe it as humor? You know, it's kind of hard to say what's funny to a chimp and what's funny to a person, right? You know, it's the whole, did someone slip on a banana peel? Do they find that funny? I was pretty excited by this video because I saw this as chimps laughing at chimp comedy. Um, I was thinking, like, no way is the Sumerian joke one of the first jokes. Maybe, like, the first joke is actually, like, 100 million years old. But then Jen, she was like, "Mm, no. They're not really laughing, but a pant grunt is kind of a a greeting, a really positive vocalization. And I think that part of that spurred on by the the reaction of the keepers in the video, because they're all laughing and they're like, oh. (laughs) You know, this is humor, no doubt. But I wasn't thinking of this as like a... A joke. I guess I, I guess I have associated the word joke more with words than with hmm. like, like a like this feels like a prank. Which maybe some people would say they're kind of the same thing. But I guess to me, I would not call the Ruthie Terry uh, scenario a joke. But it is humorous. It is humor. So when I mean when I saw this, I was like, this is humor for sure. But, you know, the difference here is that, like, the chimps themselves are not actually laughing. It sounds like laughter, but it's this pant grunt. And there's, like, a subtle difference. These chimps are putting on a show for the zookeepers. Mm. And when the keepers laugh, the chimps get really excited and then they pant grunt. They don't laugh. And so the similarity here is, like, Think about all of those apes you've read about who, like, have sign language, who use sign language. 
Dr. Patterson claims Coco has a working vocabulary of about 450 signs. They learned it from humans. So, like, they don't sign with other apes in the wild, and it's the same thing here. If you want to call this a joke, that's fine, or if you want to call it humor, that's fine. But it doesn't indicate that jokes are millions of years old, like laughs, because things like this only happen when chimps are interacting with humans. They learned it from humans. And this suggests that humor is a purely human development. Whoa. I'm not going to ever get used to that, but uh, but I'm, I'm guessing we will learn more from, from Dean as we go along here. Yep. We'll get some more in a minute. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me on point for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future, five special episodes. Listen and follow On Point wherever you get your podcasts. People always send me emails and pictures of orangutans when I say this, but I have looked into the literature quite deeply. And as far as I can see, there is no good evidence for animals in the wild, mammals in the wild, primates in the wild, showing anything that looks like humour. Who's this? After getting a handle on where laughter comes from, I called Sophie Scott, a neuroscientist at University College London, because I wanted to understand... How did humor come about? It certainly makes me realize a lot more about my own laughter. So if I've noticed that, like, I have a relative who was always laughing and ha 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 ha, and I really found her laughter very irritating. And, um, <laughs> and I was always like, oh, she laughs so stupidly. Look at her stupid laughter. And working with the laughter made me realize, actually, there was nothing whatsoever strange about her laughter. What was odd about it was that I didn't join in and I don't join in because I don't like her. 
Oh man, Sophie is a woman after my own heart. <laughs> yeah, Sophie really uh, helped me understand the Sumerian joke because she's written about ancient humor, among other things, and that's actually how I found her. She's written about Sumerian jokes and Egyptian jokes, and she told me that like Romans were really into crucifixion humor for some reason. So there's one joke about two Romans walking along and they look up to see a popular athlete who's been crucified and one of them says to the other, oh, he's really flying now. Oh my god! I know, I know! Wow. <laughs> I don't get this joke. <laughs> Alright, maybe Sophie and I are not as akin as I thought. I like, I swear, I thought you guys were going to find that Roman thing funny. <laughs> uh, but I guess uh, despite that, she really does know a lot about the mechanics of laughter and humor. Right from the outset, there are things that will make human babies laugh that don't make other infants laugh. And those are non-physical things like playing peekaboo or talking funny. or Exactly. So again, actually babies, humans are able to pick up on someone's playful intentions without touch being involved. Peekaboo is considered non-physical comedy? Yeah, like in the sense that there's no person-to-person touching involved. Like non-human laughter is based on that really close contact. But humans are different in that we laugh when talking with each other and watching performance. Mm. Essentially, we laugh at stories. And we tell these stories, funny stories, a.k.a. jokes, we tell them in part because laughing feels good. You also see an increased uptake in the naturally circulating endorphins, and that's your body's natural painkillers. And you see that when you've been laughing, which is one of the reasons why you get a nice warm, buzzy feeling when you've been laughing. It's exactly the same as if you've been exercising. Human social bonding is partly based on endorphins. And so the stuff that makes us feel really close is often the stuff that fuels those endorphins, like singing together and eating together and dancing together and especially laughing together. So, like, if I tell a stranger a joke and we both laugh, we're actually biologically building a bond. And, I mean, think about, like, how much time Mm. both of you have spent laughing together. Mm. Amory apparently does not even need the jokes to be done, (laughs) to to be finished, to start laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's hear it. What do you call a blonde skin? (laughs) Apparently this joke is hilarious. Okay, I want to go back to the chimps for a second, because it sounds like they bond through laughter, too. But that laughter happens in very close quarters with, like, tickling and play fighting. So the difference is what? Right. They're not telling stories like the Sumerian joke to make each other laugh and bond. Is that because they don't have, like, the same kind of language that we do? Partially, yeah. But... Maybe not in the way that you're thinking. Now, I'm going to take a few sharp turns here, so bear with me. But uh, Hold on to the handle that's above the door. Okay. Exactly. We're ready. Sometime after that eight to six million year split between the chimp line and the human line, humans or, you know, proto-humans, their brains started to change. They became more complex and... 
You can see this in how laughter happens in our brains today. Because neurologically speaking, humans have two different laughs. Think about the last time you started laughing and you could not stop laughing. You know, really involuntary laughter. You may be desperately trying to stop and you can't stop. That is a different kind of laughter and it seems to be based in different brain areas than laughter, which to some degree is, want to a better phrase, volitional. You know, you're- Involuntary and volitional? Is this like a real laugh and a fake laugh? Not exactly. It's more like a, an involuntary crying belly laugh, which is I'm kind sorry, of Ben, rare. you should know this. This happens to me every single tracking session we do. <laughs> where we probably have it's so true. many of these on tape where just for whatever it's reason, true. all of a sudden I cannot keep it together. Yeah. And I'm trying to, but I just I cannot. Exactly. Yeah. She gets the giggles. You can't stop her. <laughs> I'm Amory Sabertson. <laughs> That's all it takes. And you're listening to Endless Thread. This happens every time. <laughs> so there's that kind of laughter, and then there's like every other kind of laugh that humans exhibit. Whoa. An involuntary laugh is literally one that you can't control, as Amory described. You're rolling on the floor, whatever. Uh, a volitional laugh is not something you necessarily intend to do or, like, fake. It's voluntary in the sense that you could stop it in the middle of a laugh if you had to, or you could stifle a laugh because, like, you're at a funeral or something like that. This is most of our laughter. So you're saying, like, even when someone tells you a joke, unless you're Amory, it's probably <laughs> a volitional laugh? Right, like, or a mix of both. And the reason I bring this up is because these two laughs, they travel different pathways in the brain. Belly laughs, Amory laughs, follow this one pathway through the middle of your brain, one that goes through a region for involuntary functions. Now that is evolutionarily older. We share that with all other mammals. And it's associated with much more reactive vocalizations often that are more emotional and sort of automatic. This is how chimps laugh. Their brains have the same pathway. But a volitional laugh goes through something called the lateral motor area, which is only in humans. And that's something I'm using right now when I talk. It's something you don't find in other primates, and it's associated with voluntary control over our bodies. So humans aren't only able to talk because they've got the right shape vocal tract, they've also got a brain that can control that vocal tract. And that's As Sophie says, this evolved brain pathway for human-only laughs, it is the same pathway that we use for controlling speech, for complex language, and for storytelling, for joke-telling. Which means that, like, it is possible, maybe even probable, that just as humans were developing the ability to tell jokes, they were simultaneously developing the ability to laugh at those jokes. So, okay, what does this tell us about why the Sumerian joke matters? I'm going to take us back to the Penn Museum and Phil Jones. So how old is this? This is just under 5,000 years old. Hmm. As far as we know, 
Homo sapiens are the only living species that can talk about things that we have never seen, touched, or smelled, or experienced. It's unclear when exactly this first came about. Like some evidence suggests 100,000 years ago, some suggest 35,000 years ago. But somewhere in there, humans began to tell fictions and myths and stories. The tablet over here on the left, the, like the one that, it, you know, I, I didn't read it yet, but it says Gilgamesh on the like description of it. And over that one is beautiful and tiny and complex. And we told Proverbs. A dog knows, take it. It does not know, put it down. And we told jokes. So a dog came to a brothel and said, one does not see anything, let me open this one. And historians have suggested that it's our ability to tell all of these fictions that allowed humans to expand their social groups from the small-sized troops that chimps have, which is like 20 or so, to literally millions of people, religions and cities and nations. Like Sumer. Yeah, because Sumer was just a collection of disparate people who several tens of thousands of years earlier would have nothing to do with each other. But our fictions can travel and shape our ideals and cultures and bring small troops of people together into giant communities. For instance, to know that someone else, maybe someone you've never met, to know that they find a story funny, that you find funny, that's an instantaneous sign that we're on the same team, the in-group. And if they don't share your fictions, then they're in the out-group. And so Sumer comes after this cognitive leap, out of the agricultural revolution, which produced so much food that in 3500 BCE, it became hard to keep track of it all. It's, it's interesting to read this description and, ha and have it be like, we invented writing because people couldn't remember... So, as Phil told us, Sumerians invented writing. First to count the clay pots filled with food, and then they realized they could record more complex ideas. They started to set their fictions down in stone and clay so that they could travel geographically and through time. This Sumerian joke from the dawn of writing matters because it is documented evidence of this moment. It is one of the first instances in which a fiction was written down and its meaning passed to another person who would read it and laugh and their endorphins would jump and they would feel a connection with their community, their Sumerian Babylonian culture in which this joke was rooted. It's like reading a joke on a subreddit and thinking, this community gets me, except that it happened several thousand years before the internet. But Dean, what did all this tell you about the meaning of this joke? A dog walks into a bar and can't see a thing and opens this one. What did all of this tell you about why that's funny? What all of this told me is that this joke is not funny. 
not to us. <laughs> and no matter what we do, it never will be. I mean, like Phil and his theory about the watchdog who opens the front door of the brothel, he might be right, but so could anyone else. We just don't know. Because Sumerians, Babylonians, they're the in-group. We're on the outs. We were never meant to find it funny. And as Sophie Scott, the neuroscientist, told me, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic, isn't it? Why, why do you say that's fantastic? Because it's so obviously a joke. But also, like, what? Why, why was that funny? What did those words mean that we aren't getting from the translation? It's like a whole world of being opening up of, of possible meaning and the sort of this tantalising fact that you're almost certainly never, ever, ever going to know why that was funny. It's, it's amazing. I mean, it's sort of mind-blowing to think about how jokes and laughter are not actually forever things. Yeah. You know, like, they, they these are things that, like, came into the world. And also, even though they're, the, the words are not the same derivative, which we looked up at one point, the idea that humor is potentially something uniquely human, that is kind of amazing to me. I don't generally buy into the whole, like humans are special. Like, I don't really buy into that in, in general, you know? But, like, if you tell me humans are special because we can make jokes, then, like, okay. You can get on board. <laughs> I can get on board with that. I mean, I also love this, but I feel like Sophie's conclusion of... um, It's it's like the... It's, it's next level, you had to be there. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. you, you had to be there at that time in order to understand the joke in the way that they meant it. And we're doing that all the time um, with, with our sense of humor. Yeah. yeah. And that's frustrating when you're trying to understand something of the past, but it's also kind of... Special. We're, yeah, yeah. We're, we're constantly creating little time capsules mm. that will be maybe found and maybe understood or maybe not in the future. Speaking of which, uh, you guys have told me, you guys keep reminding me that um, chimps are not monkeys. Mm -hmm. yep. But I haven't told you this thing this whole time, which is that my brother almost adopted a chimp. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Whoa. I thought I was going to be a monkey's uncle. Oh. oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Amazing. How long have you been holding on to that one? At least three minutes. <laughs> Endless Thread is a production of WBUR in Boston. Want early tickets to events, swag, bonus content, my full repertoire of ape jokes, footage of Emery's laughing fits? Join our email list. You can find it at wbur.org slash endless thread, where you can also see pictures and those videos from our Sumerian chimpian adventures. <laughs> 
This episode was written, reported, and produced by Dean Russell and co-hosted by me, Amory Sievertson. And me, Ben Brock Johnson. Mix and sound design by Emily Jankowski. Our web producer is Kristen Torres. The rest of our team is Nora Sachs, Quincy Walters, Grace Tatter, Megan Cattell, and Paul Vikas. Endless Thread is a show about the blurred lines between digital communities and a couple of stinky chimps rolling around in some hay. <laughs> Who you calling stinky, Ben? <laughs> oh, they're stinky. <laughs> if you've got an untold history, an unsolved mystery, or a wild story from the internet that you want us to tell, hit us up. Email endlessthread at wbur.org. I almost lost it in the middle of that for absolutely no reason. <laughs> ah, typical. Just typical.